What's up, fight fan? You're listening to MMA Daily, the station where we bring you the late mixed martial arts. I'm Gabriel. You can find me on social media at Double G on TV. Kayla is not here this week. She will be back next week. Don't worry. You can follow her at fangirl underscore MMA. But I am here with my special guest. We've just been on an adventure to log on, Mr. Dan Doherty. Dan, are you there? Yes, I am here. Can you hear me now? Yes. Oh, my goodness. So uh, for fans who are listening and don't know why we're so excited, we've just been trying for about the last hour to connect to do today's show. So, Dan, I mean, thank you for your patience. Thank you for being the guest. For people who don't know, Danny and I have been working together for the past several years at two different outlets. He is an editor at Cage Site Press, where I also contribute articles. He is the editor of a lot of the my best pieces. He is a reporter himself and a big fan and follower of mixed martial arts. So I'm very happy to have him on the program. Danny, I know you're in the East Coast. How's it all going? It's going great. Uh, I work uh, for the Long Island Ducks. They're a local baseball team, and that's been my my nine to five every day. So. Uh, less time for fighting. We actually, the podcast I host, Throwing Elbows, we host that with uh, uh, Heath Harshman, who we both work with at Cage Side Press. We're on hiatus right now, so I can focus on my job, and he can focus on his job, and he can focus on his writing more. So that'll be back up and running soon, but I'm glad to, you know, use my vocal talent somewhere this week. <laughs> I mean, I always say you have voices for radio i always say he's got just that voice i'm very jealous of i wish i could just pronounce everything with that cadence you do so i am glad that you are here and i'm even okay if you show me up um (laughs) for fans obviously we haven't been on the air for a little more than a week there's been a lot going on with ufc and bellator so let's get right into it we haven't recapped it but i know you guys are still buzzing about it UFC Atlantic City, Edson Barbosa versus Kevin Lee. Danny, I'm going to get it started. I did not. I had De- um, Kevin winning this one. I picked him to win. I did not think he would look that good. Mm. He easily decimated Edson worse than Habib did. He was able to posture up to do more damage. I felt like he made it just look a lot easier in getting the fight to the mat and even beating Edson on the feet. What did you think of Kevin's performance? I thought he looked great. Uh, he, he's always been a very talented wrestler uh, at lightweight, and it's just a different kind of style that he has than Khabib. Khabib will drag you out. He'll, he'll make you miserable over the course of three rounds. Kevin Lee is out there to put you away. And you saw that, like, most notably, I think, in his fight with uh, Jake Matthews is an example where he just takes him out in the first round. Kevin Lee's there to put you away, and, and that's what he was doing against Edson Barbosa. Barbosa is really tough, so he's not going to go out in under five minutes. So he did have to use those uh, five rounds to get him away, and he, he eventually did. I, I just love Kevin Lee's wrestling style. He's aggressive, and on the feet, too. He's improving every fight, and he, he stood there with Edson Barbosa and took his best shots, took his best shot with that spinning back kick in the third round, and Kevin Lee was still there, wrestled while he was dazed, got him down, and I just I was really impressed by Kevin Lee overall. Yeah, I mean, like, look, that gif is going to live forever. I mean, Edson Barbosa, I saw this tweet. Kevin Lee was on the stankiest of legs. Yes. Seriously, that was worse than Rashad Evans, Leota Machida. And yes, it did. You know, if you were to watch just that clip and know nothing of MMA, yes, it did look pretty funny. But when you watch that whole thing for 25 minutes and you see him recover and still throw down i think what impressed me edson barbosa started firing back even better in the fourth round yeah kevin lee still was able to edge out those rounds it wasn't even he was still you know now he was in a fight and he was still winning it that impressed me the most um just comprehensively on top of just the skills he showed in terms of the finish because i know it was such a weird one because for me You know, the doctor stoppage, you never want a fight to have to end like that. You kind of want these guys and girls to go to that end bell, let them go out, you know, the way, you know, fighting like they've trained to want to do, even if they're losing. Mm -hmm. I have to be honest, as soon as I saw Edson's eyes when the ref broke the action, 
I was like, oh, yeah, you got to stop that one. He's just, I know he was fighting back, and I know he was trying to hold him. And respectfully, he was out in those first two rounds, and he willed himself back into it. So as much as it would have, you know, you want to say, hey, you know, he earned the right to go to that final bell. He was operating only on heart. He wasn't going to be able to intelligently defend the takedowns or see the shots coming. I was okay with the stoppage. He lives to fight another day. What about you? Yeah, it was kind of like the refs when the the doctors were doing the corners job for uh, Edson's corner because that fight should have been stopped probably in between the fourth and fifth round Uh, because Edson, even though he has that style where you never know when he's going to catch you uh, because, I mean, he was still, like, even in a fight with Khabib, that was, like, just he was getting decimated the whole time. He was still throwing full speed spinning back kicks in the, in the final round. So I guess you can never count Edson out, but that's what makes it tough for the corner. Cause you never want to like take the chance away from a guy like Edson, but still you want to save him as well. So it was really a tough scenario to be the corner of uh, Barboza in that fight. And the doctors took that decision out of their hands, which was, uh, I, I think good for Edson in the long run. Yeah, I think every now and then, I hate to say it so bluntly, but the reason it's a professional sport and you have the doctors and the refs is because more often than not, you sometimes have to save these guys from themselves. Yes. You know? And no knock on Edson. I am ready to see him fight another day. I think that he showed a lot of heart and why he's still a dangerous fighter. So I really want to just give that credit to him. He made Kevin, he forced Kevin Lee to really get him out of there. And I think Mm -hmm. that's saying something for as good as Kevin was fighting. Mm -hmm. But it's the lightweight division. It's like April was the month of the lightweights. You had obviously Habib win a title. I don't know if you can call it the undisputed title, but Uh they did give him a belt. Dustin Poirier had a fight of the year win over Justin Gaethje, in my opinion. Now you have Kevin Lee, who's easy in the top five. What do you think is the fight next for Kevin Lee? Wow. <laughs> if I, it's not an easy question. Yeah, because I, I know. all I want to see is Alvarez and Poirier again. That, that's, that's step number one, but it looks like Alvarez doesn't want to fight Poirier, and I'm probably that, you can probably assume he doesn't want to fight Lee either. Um, so what do you do with Kevin Lee then? Do you make him fight Poirier? Because uh, that takes two of your top contenders. One of them will be out of the running after that. And I don't know if you want to do that because both of those guys are deserving of title shots. So I don't know if you just skip the line and give Kevin Lee to Khabib already. But then you have the Connor wild card. So really, it's it's just a really tough task for these matchmakers to, to figure something out to do with this lightweight division. And I mean, Eddie Alvarez deciding not to fight anybody's not helping at all. He's trying to wait for Nate Diaz and that's not going to happen. So... Uh, I think that would be a big shoe to drop if Eddie Alvarez just fights anyone. Um, but Kevin Lee, he's he's due for a number one contender fight or even a title fight at this point because, I mean, he, I think he's good enough. Uh, we saw how he performed against Tony Ferguson with staff infection. Uh, the, the performances he had before that against Chiesa, too. He's just been amazing his, throughout his entire UFC career. So I think he is deserving of a title shot uh, at this point, even with the, the one win. Lightweight is just that much of a mess that he can just he can deserve a title shot at that point coming off just one win. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, I think you got to take into account that nice run he was on before the fight with Tony. Yeah, um, I agree with you. The Eddie Alvarez thing. Um, I think Eddie rolled the dice and it didn't go in his favor. I think he thought something would happen with the Tony Habib thing, but he didn't expect it to happen so late in the game. That, yeah, yeah. And he admitted himself, I wasn't going to be anywhere near 155 to step up on, you know, what was it, six days notice? Mm -hmm. So I get that. But then now also, it's kind of like when you talk about these guys at 170 trying to wait for title shots, all of them are performing well. So if you really want to stand out, you have to kind of get in there and make force that situation because Dustin Poirier looked good. Kevin Lee looked good. Um, in terms of who's actually next for Kevin, I think that, uh, like, and the whole should he or shouldn't he is uh, another segment for another show, but I think that Connor is going to get that fight, you know, if they just don't, you know, ban him or suspend him for a while. Mm-hmm. Connor fights Habib later this year, plain and simple. 
in the event that that happens, I think that Dustin Poirier has earned the ability to wait it out or maybe try to set himself up as a, you know, in case of emergency replacement. I think that if Eddie doesn't want to fight Dustin, which probably would be a good idea to get him back in the running, I think that Eddie Alvarez needs to fight Kevin Lee if he wants to still stay in the title picture. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a good fight for him. I think they're two gamers. I think that Eddie can pose a lot of problems. I think if you're Kevin Lee, that's another guy who, former champion, a lot of experience, you beat a guy like him, you prove that you're ready to consistently take on the Habibs, the Dustins, the Tonys of the division. Not that he's not there now, but it would really help to say, hey, you really got to keep an eye on this guy. He's not the odd man out. He could easily be up there. So Mm -hmm. I think for the lightweight division, as it is right now, in terms of who we know is healthy, who we know could fight, and who we know is available, I think that Eddie Alvarez is the best option for Kevin Lee. He may not want it, but I think that's the lightweight division we're watching in 2018. Yeah, I I hope we can see that. It's just the guys... It, it's, it seems to be a trend in this day and age in the UFC where there's a lot of guys that are afraid to lose their spot and then they end up just not fighting and then they get passed over because, you know, the UFC's not going to wait for you. So I, th- I think you have to fight at some point. I hope I hope that Eddie Alvarez will get off the couch and fight Kevin Lee because that's a great fight too. Kevin Lee or Poirier, either or. The lightweight division needs to get moving uh, with Connor away and a, and a seemingly a champ that wants to be active. So that that's a really big thing for 155. And uh, yeah, the, the just the balls have to, to start rolling. It's, it's, it's there's too much, there's too much talent at the top right now. Yeah, and, and also, admittedly, it is also a bit of a victim of circumstance. Like yes, at welterweight, as soon as the what was it the RDA Colby fight that domino fell, the same week you saw like four or five of those top ten guys all get matched up. Mm-hmm. It's all these guys they don't want to lose their spot, like you said. But you have to get moving. Otherwise, there's somebody else willing to get out there and get after it and take your shot for the belt. I think at 155, look, we really didn't think Tony Ferguson would get injured the week of. And that's really unfortunate. But the fact is, you got to just have the top guys fight. That's how you're going to prove that you're the best guy. That's how you're going to be the money fight, become the star and get paid to also fight the best like these guys are trying to do. Because mm-hmm. if you stay on the sideline, like we're seeing with Nate Diaz, the interest is dropping every week oh, yeah. that he doesn't compete. So you got to really get it going. Yes. Moving on to the co-main event, though, man. Frankie Edgar coming back and taking out Cub. Well, not by finish, but of course, a good, solid performance by the answer over Cub Swanson. This one was actually, I think it was a very underrated performance. I think when you consider what Frankie had to overcome, Coming out of that knockout to Brian Ortega, I was very impressed. What about you? Yeah, I, I like how he wasn't as reliant on his wrestling in this one because the first one, uh, the first time they fought, it was a lot of takedowns, just grinding out Swanson. This one, he, he beat Swanson where Swanson is at his best, on the feet. And, and he mixed in a lot of different strikes. And it was just a very prime Frankie Edgar performance. He was fast on the feet. He wasn't there to be hit. So I, I really enjoyed seeing Frank Yeager put together this performance a month after getting knocked out, which is even more impressive. Yeah, I mean, to me, obviously the big question, we know how tough Frankie is. We know how good his skills are. The fact is, can he still eat that many shots from a guy as good as Swanson after his chin really did get tested against Brian Ortega? Mm-hmm. I think he passed it. He, Cub didn't have his best fight, but he certainly landed some nice clean shots and Frankie took them well. I was impressed by how comprehensive he made it. We knew Cub, I think at the end of the day, Cub just did not want to go to the ground, period. That made him very hesitant and Frankie just attacked him with a very comprehensive game. High volume strikes, got in and out of the way, threatened with a takedown for all 15 minutes. He didn't really ever get it, but I think the fact that he made Cub think about it really helped to neutralize that big free-flowing game in the middle of the octagon that we're used to seeing from Cub Swanson. So Mm -hmm. I think it was a good game plan and, of course, well-executed. A running joke that I have on the show is that 
Frankie Edgar's been around so long, but always say Frankie Edgar is like your favorite flavor ice cream. <laughs> you can try something new, and yes, it'll be nice and fun, but you know what you're getting every time out of Frankie Edgar. Yeah. Great volume, great cardio, great heart, and he showed why, you know, he didn't disappoint again. So that is a great win. Who's next, though, Danny? Because you have... Jeremy Stevens on a roll. Obviously, the title fight, we'll talk about that in a minute. But really, where does Frankie Edgar fit in the 145 division right now? Well, I hope they don't give him Aldo. That's for sure. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's tough to say who, who he gets next because he's beat a lot of the guys that, that aren't at the top. Yep. Um, you, do, you make, do you try to make the... No, because Ortega versus Holloway is a thing. So does he just wait for that to settle? Uh, it, but we know Frank Edgar is not really fond of waiting uh, to fight. He likes to be active. But really, there's no one really left to fight except for the winner of Holloway Ortega. So I think that's the best option for him is just to not fight. Even after <laughs> I just said that uh, I want guys to fight and not wait for uh, their turn. But that's what I'm advising for Frankie Edgar here because he really has nothing else to, else to prove. What's beating Jeremy Stevens going to do? It, it's going to he he beat him what last two years ago? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. We we know what's going on there. Uh, I don't want to see him fight Aldo again. Aldo doesn't seem like he's fighting anytime soon. So I think he just should wait for Ortega versus Holloway and and have a rightful title shot. Even against if it's against Ortega, you have that storyline. If it's if it's against Holloway, we see one of the best featherweight fights possible. Uh, finally, even if it's a cursed matchup. So I think I'm a fan of waiting uh, when it comes to Frank Yeager. Yeah, he's really in that tough position. Um, uh, to be honest, it, it's very tough because every time I want to say Frankie should wait, I think about Jeremy Stevens just putting dudes away. I mean, I know, mm. like, he's been on a nice run since the Frankie Edgar fight. And um, uh, from what I've heard is that they are still talking about, um, it's not official, but... Um, what I have been told is that they are still in talks for Jeremy versus Jose. They're still figuring stuff out. So to me, um, you know, I put it this way. If Jeremy gets a fight with Aldo, I think that Frankie Edgar's going to need another one if Jeremy wins. Because mm. Jeremy, if he finishes Jose Aldo, is right there for Max or Brian. Yeah. I think that's going to be hard to deny it. If, you know, the waiting game, depending on how long it takes... Maybe you could say Frankie Edgar waits, which might be better for him. But I think that if Jeremy's not on the table and he does need another fight to secure his title shot, I say Korean Zombie. We know that Zombie is going to be coming back from injury roughly around the same time that would make sense to set up, set him up for a number one contender fight. Zombie is someone Frankie hasn't fought. Yeah. Frankie would be getting him after a year-long layoff. Stylistically, you know, Jung is a very tough guy. So that's one of the few fights for Frankie that I think would make sense, if not just a Jeremy Stevens rematch altogether. Hmm. I, I like that idea. I think it, it, it seems like a very Frankie Edgar fight where he's, he's fighting a guy that's not, uh, that's trying to pass him as like a gatekeeper into contendership. And then Frankie Edgar shuts them down. That seems to be a theme uh, with Edgar throughout his career. So, uh, I, I like that idea, and, and I, I, it would be fun to see Jung's style, to see how, how tough he can be against a guy like Frank Yeager who's not going to give you any time to rest, and I think that, that plays well into uh, Jung's style to make it an entertaining fight. So yeah, I like that idea. So it's either, yeah, waiting or Korean zombie. That, that's, I, I like that. Yeah, and um, really, once again, like health, just like every pro sport is half the game. Let's say, God forbid, you know, Brian Ortega rolls his ankle. Frank Edgar leading up to July, you just need to be on the treadmill ready to mm -hmm. make weight. Yes. I mean, I think that's his best, you know, course of action. Even if they say, you know, Jeremy Stevens in September or Korean Zombie in September, just make sure you're in damn good shape in July, just in case. I think that'd be your best move. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that we saw that with the UFC 223, like, with how many lightweights could have saved the card <laughs> by weighing 155. So yeah, that, that's always a good plan to just wait it out and see if you can jump in on that fight. 
Yeah. Now, of course, you know, look, there was a lot of fun action. I did not expect David Branch to knock out Tiago Santos. Yeah, that was great. Aljamain Sterling looked good. Dan Hooker with the finisher. Jim Miller then calls out Paul Felder. All of that was a lot of fun stuff. Um, I think you had a lot of guys take good advantage of the mic. But the final fight to talk about before we get into news, Danny, did, all right, I might mess up his name and I feel very bad because this fight was so good. Marab Devalishvili against Ricky <laughs> Simone. Uh, Danny, I'm watching Marab and really I feel like he was possessed by the spirit of 2009 Clay Guida or Diego Sanchez. Just ridiculous pace uh, against Ricky Simone just for mm-hmm. 15 minutes in his face, relentless. He wouldn't even get good position, but he'd just get right back at it. Ricky Simone in his UFC debut stayed very composed, tried to counter, but let's be honest, he was losing that one. And we'll talk about the finish in a minute. What did you just think of that pace that Marab was putting on him? Yeah, Marab, uh, Marab looked amazing, I thought. Uh, he, he just was all over Ricky Simone the entire time and didn't give him any space to breathe. Even if he didn't, you know, sustain the takedown for a good minute or so, he was still just on him over and over and over again. And, and yeah, Simone had no space the whole time. I loved his style of, of Devalish Philly, but... Yeah, pretty. It was there were some good adjustments uh, from Simone at the end. He started to see that he wanted to counter the takedowns uh, in the third round, and eventually he got that big counter at the end, which you're about to go into. Yeah, I mean, so the way it broke down, so the way it looked live is that Marab is in that deep guillotine for about a minute. I want to say, you know, at least at the 50 second mark, he is just in a tight guillotine. You see Marab kind of kicking his legs like the bicycle to show he's awake. Mm-hmm. The bell sounds. Ricky lets him up. Marab stays on the mat. His eyes aren't closed. but So you assume like, okay, he survived. <laughs> but then he doesn't really get up. He kind of just stays back down like he did go to sleep. And the ref says this is officially a TKO, like sub- technical submission at the bell, something along that terminology, and the victory goes to Ricky Simone, even though you probably would have had Marab on the scorecards. Mm -hmm. I mean, what did you think of that finish? Also, officially like boxing, you cannot be saved by the bell, which means if you get knocked out at the bell, technically you don't survive, even if you wake up between rounds. If you're out, you're out. That's why the ref made the call that he did. What did you think of just the way it played out? I, I mean, I have my biases because, you know, Davalishvili is a, is a Matt Serra fighter. I'm from Long Island, so I had to root for him. And As you should. Yes. Uh, it, it was a bit of a bummer, but then I, I remembered there was the, the Invicta fight where this happened, where uh, the fighter who was submitted at the end of the fight, but the ref didn't stop it, ended up winning the decision. Uh, and then I was like, well, that doesn't really make sense, does it? Um, but then I was rooting for the opposite side in this fight. So I guess, I guess it was the right move, but I, it was a tough pill to swallow <laughs> at fight night for a lot of people. I, I mean, I did not see any fans that were happy with this decision. Uh, and, and then you had to come in with damage control from like a bunch of refs saying, this is the right move. This is the right move. And it was just, I guess the, the one part that bothered a lot of people was calling it a TKO because it wasn't a TKO. It would be a technical submission if anything. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed Marab fighting for his life. That was incredible stuff. That, that, it's what makes the sport great. You see someone at, at the at the brink of losing a fight, but just knowing that they had to put everything into it to to get to that last zero 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 on the clock to get that decision victory, and he he gave it everything he had, and he could he he was he wasn't able to stand up afterwards. He had to sit back down. Because uh, he, he just gave every ounce of his being to win that fight. And then they took it away from him, which made it even more of a bummer because you saw how much he tried to, to win that fight. So I, I think it is the right move, thinking back to that that uh, weird Invicta fight where the same thing happened and the, and the one that got choked out won a decision. So Simone should have won the fight. And I needed a few days to just accept that. So I think that that's what happened. I mean, the thing that 
got me about Marab. He said, I wasn't out. The ref told me to stay down. And that's what, you know, by his, in his words, that's why it looked like he did go back out. Yeah. Um, you could tell he said something to the ref right after, like, right after the fight yeah. ended. But then he goes, like, flat on his back, like someone who did, like, put it this way. If you've ever gotten up too fast and you've passed out, I'm not going to yeah. lie. That actually happened to me once. Like, I rolled out of bed late for work. And I literally got up, and I swear, I felt the lights come down on me. Um, I Thankfully, I, huh. I was able to fall back to my bed, but it is a real thing. And in the moment, I can't say that maybe Marab, after all that, after that tight squeeze, 15 minutes of craziness, that maybe he didn't just have enough oxygen around him mm-hmm. and he went out. It's a very tough call. That being said, um... It looked like the refs were all trying to confirm it. The way that he stayed down, it is controversial because it really, you could see it either way. Only the people right next to him could tell you, like, was he saying something? Was he just mumbling? And also, you know, other side, you know, devil's advocate. When guys get knocked out, they don't always go to sleep with their eyes closed. Mm, You've seen plenty of guys get put down or choked out eyes just stayed open it's a weird little bit creepy thing that happens but yeah. that's just how the body works um michael bisping completely out after the dan henderson knockout his eyes were open the open the whole time if you see the clip that's just how the body works so it is very tough in the moment sometimes to make the right judgment call mm-hmm. and for the record the invicta fight i was mentioning was celine haga versus amy montenegro where uh haga choked out Montenegro at the buzzer and ended up losing a decision. So that really upset a lot of people. So it's like kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing where we're upset for the fighter that ends up losing the fight no matter what. Um, and I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he, the, the getting up too fast factor might've played into it. Uh, it. It was just a very weird situation because you can tell, I mean, even if he just got up normally, there's probably no blood in his brain at that point because he was just getting yeah. choked out for like that. He had that choke in at, at the minute mark of the third round, and he had to hold and and Marab had to hold it in for that whole time. So you, you could tell like there was just nothing left in Marab after that. Yeah, it's just uh, I mean this is why look I mean it's a learning curve for all of them. I think that you can have a lot of refs now feel more educated after they see that one, but one of them has to go first. You're not going to satisfy anybody. I think with this call, even if you said Ricky Simone just got him out of there, I think for right now, I think it just goes to show don't, you know, if you've got to finish someone, try to get it within the distance too. Yes. Don't always rely <laughs> on getting it at the bell either. Even if that's, uh, and to his credit, that was more like a Hail Mary. He wasn't, he was trying to get him out with 30 seconds left. Marab mm-hmm. just wasn't going. So it's one of those calls at the end of the day, but I think everyone's going to learn from it going forward. Not just the guys involved, but everyone, men and women and officials in the sport. Kind of feel bad for Marab, though. His, his, his UFC debut was against Frankie Science, where he, where he performed better than Science, ended up losing, losing a split decision. Then this happens to him in a second. He's a really good fighter, and his record says 0-2 in the UFC. So it, it just it, it, it hurts right now. So hopefully he gets a match that he can win decisively next time around because we see we saw in that fight how talented uh, Devalish really is. Yeah, I agree. It's just um, it's one of those that we're just going to have to reevaluate. And, yeah, it's one to remember, though, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Moving on to MMA news. We're going to jump over one, Danny, but um, definitely still a lot to talk about. The first one, Junior Dos Santos being cleared to return to competition. So this one, so essentially USADA ruled that Junior did get tainted supplements from a pharmacy in Brazil. They did the test. Junior was able to prove that essentially it was a mismarked package. They sent them sealed and they're still finding these unlisted substances in it that led to the positive drug test now junior's suspension was cut short six months 
He did not. It, however, the investigation took eight months. So essentially, USADA, because of the process, took an extra two months off, of, you know, away from Junior, because that's how long it took them to prove his innocence. Danny, we know that USADA is that double-edged sword in terms of giving the sport legitimacy, but what did you think about the way this played out for him? I mean, yeah, yeah, you take the good with the bad. It, it, it's going to be a long... When there's stuff like this, it takes a long time, especially with it being in Brazil. That uh, that probably takes even longer, being USADA as a U.S. agency. Um, if you You want to get it right. That's the most important thing. You don't want to rush these kinds of things. You want to make sure with no no ounce of doubt that Junior Dos Santos was taking a tainted supplement here. And USADA is very thorough. They, 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 they know what they're doing. They, they, like you said, they sent the sealed package and the, and the illegal substance still showed up in the testing. So that's what they go through. And but what is always advised by USADA is just to you know, text them when you're taking a substance. That's when I talked to Bilal Muhammad a couple of years ago, that's what he said he does. Every time he's ever putting anything in his body, he says, Hey, Hey, uh, Jeff, is this, is this good to take? And then they'll respond. Yep. That's good. All right. And that's the easiest way to avoid these kinds of things. So it, it does hurt that Dos Santos had to lose two months of his career, but you want to get this thing, right. You want to make sure that uh, top flight contender like Junior Dos Santos is not cheating. So it's, it's fortunate that he, is, that he isn't. And like Tim means, uh, and a couple other guys who've had their suspension reduced, uh, it, it always, it works out in the end for them that they don't have to sit out for two years or one year or whatever the suspension is, but you, you do have to take the go with the bag. Cause that's ultimately they are cleaning up the sport. Um, and these things happen. You, and you just want to get it right. So I like it. Overall, it hurts for Dos Santos to lose those two years, but it, he comes back to a pretty interesting heavyweight division right now, and uh, I, I like to see where he goes from here and who they who he gets matched up with uh, from this point on. Yeah, I mean, for me, um, like you hear about things like with the Josh Barnett thing, even the Yoel Romero. What's tough is because we know Junior, very athletic guy, and um, look, obviously, you know, with everything that's ever happened in baseball and other things, we know it's normal to cock an eyebrow. Like, you should not be that jacked. You know, people kind of want to, like, Yoel Romero, he could pass pass every test in the book. You still kind of cock an eyebrow at him because he's 40 years old and looks in better shape than, you know, half the 21-year-olds in MMA. (laughs) So for that to carry, you know, for Junior to kind of have that on him uh, is... He just proved outright, hey, I am clean, and this really did happen. That gets lost in the headlines, you know, rather than, oh, Junior Dos Santos was caught, you know, with steroids or something. So that is unfair. Um, Once again, though, like you said, just uh, USADA, it's still a learning process. I think clearly um, you have to really invest in the resources to be able to get these things tested much faster. I think that there should be, whether you call it a third party or what have you, that can handle it. If USADA can't do it in terms of getting your stuff submitted to them, and then maybe you kind of grant like a temporary exemption, like, okay, well, you know, you can still, if this company clears you, then we'll renew your license for a year while we figure it out. But if you can't have this company clear Mm. you, we're not going to get rid of your whole two-year suspension. You know, you're gonna, it's going to hold. Mm-hmm. Something like that. It, and I'm not saying, I know it's going to be money and it's going to be very difficult because it's like, well, if you didn't trust USADA. Now you're trusting this one now in the process. The fact is you got to do something because these are these guys' livelihoods. Yes. I mean, you only get how many years just as a pro athlete, let alone combat sports, you know, you don't, do this well until you're 45, you know, you're not fighting till 40 at the top level like you're Vince Carter in the NBA. It's one of those things that you really are doing a disservice to these athletes, especially in those like Dos Santos who proved they did nothing wrong. Something was done to them, essentially. Mm-hmm. Now, like you said, um, with the packaging, I mean, th- that's why it's a tough thing. Like, you could say, hey, you know, 
test this package, test that one. We saw it with the first um, John Jones uh, positive test. One of his packages didn't have anything. Another one had higher levels of the banned substance. Mm-hmm. That also makes this so difficult. And I'm not going to lie and say it's an easy solution, but you got to just figure out a faster way to test them because you're taking time away from these guys and girls' lives. So yeah. that's the tough thing about it. It is. Now, it's, a, it's a very delicate balance uh, because as, as much as you don't want to take away their livelihoods, you don't want to – this is the one sport where you really don't want someone using steroids uh, because – there's, you know, brain damage involved and that's, that's a big part of it. So you, you can't just like, you know, let a fighter fight while they figure it out because what if they are taking steroids or what if they are taking illegal substance? It, it's, it's tough. It's a really tough job for USADA to, to, to do here. No, but man, here's the thing. He's cleared to fight. I agree with you. Junior, junior is cleared to fight. Who do you want to see him get back in there against right now in the heavyweight division? Who he? Uh, oh. there's some uh, there's some good stuff at, at heavyweight right now. I think you you throw them right at back at the top. There's the Curtis Blades overing fight going on. You've got Alexander Volkov up there. I think Dos Santos deserves a spot right at the top of the division and uh, fighting. I think Alexander Volkov is the one to to match him up with. I don't think has has he been matched up yet or is he still available? I want to say Alexander's still available. That's the um, fight to make. <laughs> I was think- yeah, I was thinking Alexander too. Here's the thing is we still don't know what's going on with Cain Velasquez. And I'll say it bluntly right now. As of right now, I am thinking Stipe gets it done against Daniel Cormier in the summer. After that, if Cain Velasquez isn't there, who's left for Stipe that isn't a rematch? Mm-hmm. You know, logic says Alexander... So I don't know if I want Alexander to have to take another fight before getting a title shot. That's my one thing about it. Mm. Um, I do think I like the idea of the winner of Junior versus um, either Overeem or Curtis Blades. I think that's a fun one that makes mm-hmm. more sense. Or even Fabrizio Verdum. I think that after losing to Stipe and for Fabrizio losing to Alexander – that after what they've gone through in their careers, that it could still be a good fight. So mm-hmm. either the Overeem Blades winner or Verdum, just because I think that they're kind of keeping Volkov on the side just to keep heavyweight moving along. I like that. Yeah, that's a good point because, yeah, you don't want to burn Volkov just in case because, yeah, I mean, we know how hard of an out Dos Santos can be. And, uh, yeah, the Verdum fight could could be a reality. Uh, that, that, that was that, back when they fought the first time. Dos Santos had hair. That was uh, JBS's. <laughs> <laughs> that was his UFC debut. So that was a long time ago that Dos Santos knocked out Verdum the first time. So I, I, I think that's a good idea because we don't we don't really know what to do with Verdum either at this point because we don't want to see him fight Stipe again right now, even if it was uh, one fight. They haven't had a rematch. I, I think just the way that that first fight went out, uh, that people aren't really interested in seeing him fight Stipe again. So. Having him fight Dos Santos, I think, would make sense because right now they're having him fight guys that aren't quite at that top five level, even though Verdum is firmly in that spot. Um, so, but we did see Volkov pass that test with flying colors. So, I, I think that that makes sense. It's a nice way to get Dos Santos back in the mix of things without, you know, burning a contender, like you said. If, if Volkov loses, what do you do next? Because Stipe's beat a lot of guys at heavyweight. Yeah, I mean, um, and look, there could be other stuff. Uh, maybe the winner of Derek Lewis, Francis Ngannou, that could mm. be a wild card, and I would yep. love that fight for Absolutely. every second that it lasts. So, but I think those are the ones that stand out to me, just considering Junior's ranking. Mm-hmm. Um, that looks to be the next option, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And Kane Velasquez is a lost cause at this point. <laughs> You know what? I mean, you're watching Kane on Ultimate Fighter and you see like, you know, there's that water cooler moment where he's around um, Stipe and you got it. You just want to be a fly on the wall to know what they're saying to each other. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, it's just it, it's tough. That's another just part of the fight game. Yeah, it hurts to not see him there because him versus Stipe would be such an amazing fight at, at Kane's peak against Stipe. Wow, that would oh, yeah. be incredible. Yeah, but, um, you know, a discussion for another day, sadly. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Um, moving on, this one, Santiago Ponzinibbio out of UFC Chile. Just announced today, though, Damian Maya stepping in to save the event to take on Kamaru Usman. Danny, I mean, Kamaru's a weird guy to match up with if you're in the top 10. Good wrestler, but more known for his explosiveness. What do you think about Damian Maya's chances against him? I don't like them. <laughs> I don't like his I don't, chances. I agree with you. Yeah. I think Kamar Usman, uh, like he said himself, he's a problem. <laughs> like, like he's he's my one of my favorite prospects, probably my favorite prospect at this point. And it's tough to call him a prospect still because he's just he's so well rounded. I, I know a lot of guys have problems with his stand up because the way he performed against Emil Mech. Uh, but if you look past that fight, he's looked amazing at any stage of any fight he's been in <laughs> in the UFC. So he's he's just. They, they call him one of the most avoided fighters in the UFC. And I, I would like to believe him because a top 10 guy doesn't want to fight a guy that scary, that well-rounded, or else they lose their spot. And we know what happens at welterweight, uh, that it, it, it's – they do fight top contenders at welterweight. So you don't want to, you know, get to the back of the line. And, yeah, I think Damian Maia is in a world of trouble here because Colby Covington handled uh, Damian Maia and then his game – Kamar Usman is even more ferocious than Colby Covington, in my opinion, uh, when it comes to his grappling. And he's, he's even more uh, he's even more well-rounded when it comes to his striking on the feet. He's not going to get into a, a, a striking exchange and trading blows and getting hit with Damian Maya hooks. Usman is cleaner. He's trained by Henry Hooft. He has very good striking. Uh, and I know I might get shit for this because of how he looked against Emil Mech, but that was he was injured for that fight. I I believe that story, and uh, I, I think if you look past the Emil Mech fight, Kamar Usman is one hundred percent a problem for the welterweight division. And I think I love that he's going to be able to prove it here against Damian Maya. Now I completely agree with you. Um, I think Kamaru just has so many of those physical gifts to take out a guy mm-hmm. like Damian Maya. Um, the wrestling, you know. He doesn't show off as much of it, but he is a high-level wrestler, great explosiveness, great speed. All of that really poses trouble for a guy like Damien, who really needs guys who need a little bit more space to work. That gives him that extra time he needs to defend and set up his takedowns, get to the ground where he's fantastic. Mm -hmm. I think that Kamaru just has too many tools at this stage of Damien Maya's career. I think um, he's seen the blueprint now with Colby Covington. He's going to be able to move forward and just get the job done. And I'm glad, though, credit to Damien stepping up. You know, the fight isn't that much, you know, further away. He's coming back and he's saving that event for Chile after they also lost Vulcan and Shogun Hua. So I appreciate Damien stepping up for that one. Yeah, yeah. Good job for Damien Maia. It's not too far away, Chile and Brazil. So uh, that's that's a good move. On his part, but he's yeah, he's gonna be in a world of trouble when he gets in the cage with uh, Kamar Usman, in my opinion. Oh yeah. Um, moving quite along, just because I only have a few minutes left, but I wanted to mention this one: Nick Newell to fight on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. Um, for one, Danny, I love that um, Nick is gonna get a bit of that UFC push. I'm not going to lie, though. I really think that it's a bit of a catch-22. I personally felt like if UFC was invested in Nick, why don't you just get him on, you know, get him on the company, put him on a Fox card or FS1 card, somewhere where you could get attention. I think that the Contender Series move was one to make ratings because you know that UFC is using uh, the Contender Series to be a focal point in the broadcast deal. We know ESPN is interested in airing the um, contender series and other networks because it's so fluid. You could literally put it on ESPN, NBC, CBS Sports, and it would just work. It's that kind of program. I think that Nick being brought in to do that serves the purpose of Dana White saying, hey, if you really want UFC, well, then I'm going to, you know, let me have let me test you in this and then you get a contract. I think mm-hmm. that's a bit of a move that I wasn't a fan of because I think Nick I think Nick has cleared more hurdles than let's say someone else like Mackenzie Dern, for example. But the fact is 
He really wants it. He's been given the shot. I think it's great. I'm looking forward to seeing him compete there. What about you? Just your thoughts on Nick participating on the show. I, I love it. I love the way that they're using the contender series at this moment. I mean, we saw that they're going to put Greg Hardy, the former NFL player who's, you know, gone through a lot of personal issues. Uh, I mean, I can't go. say I'm a fan of that move, but I, I agree. It's going to get attention. Yeah, it, it, that, that, I like that they're using it uh, for those moves. that You don't exactly want them in the UFC just yet, but you want them close to the UFC. And I think that that – I think it would be per- – I, I love the contender series, man. I, I think it would be perfect for ESPN. You get to promote the fighter stories, and then you have this factor of one of these guys is going to fight in the UFC after this. So I think that would be perfect for ESPN or NBC, whoever gets the deal. Uh, so Nick Newell, I, I like it. We know that Dana White doesn't want him fighting in the UFC exactly. And, I mean, you can understand that. You have, the UFC has a, like, enough of these problems trying to get past that level, trying to get to that mainstream level. You don't want to see a guy with one arm getting beat down in the cage. And I, that, that's just the brutal honesty part of it. And he's only have one, he only had one loss in his career, and that was a – tough one to Justin Gaethje. We know how talented Newell is, but there's always that little risk at, at, at the UFC level. If he gets, if he gets beat down, that's going to be tough to watch for like a, a spectator who's not used to watching MMA. Uh, because I know we can all get like, we, we, we know what it's like for a fighter to lose. Uh, even if they have one arm, we, we can, we can watch that and be like, all right, that's part of the sport. But then you see someone else who's just tuning into like, you know, sports center, and they see that they're like, oh, what? Why? Why is that happening? So, I like him getting put on the, t- the Tuesday night contender series where it's like kind of with the UFC, but not exactly. And he has a chance to prove himself how talented he is in front of Dana and company. I mean, I I think yeah, what it comes down to, he he's getting his shot. I think that's really what mattered at the end of the day. Is um, look, his circumstances are not. If he has the goods, let's see him give it a try. Um, the final segment, we only have a little bit of time left, Danny, but the big fight on Saturday, it's expected to do very well for Bellator. Fedor Melianenko versus Frank Mir in the heavyweight Grand Prix. Ten years in the making, I've said it. Frank Mir used to say, I really want to fight Fedor. That's the fight I've just been wanting. This fight is now finally happening, but at a different time in both men's careers. Who do you have winning this fight, Mr. Danny Doherty? I gotta know. <laughs> this fight is beyond analysis. I think I don't know what what to think about this one at this point. Uh, what, what Frank Mir we're gonna see or Fedor or Milianenko? I think I think Fedor was a safer choice, honestly, uh, with what we've seen from Frank Mir in, in the past and and this two year suspension. Even with Fedor's declining quality of his of his performances. I think he's a safer bet than Frank Mir. We, we know that he still has a knockout power. It was a double knockout against Matt Mitchell, essentially. So he can still hang with the best of them on the feet. And Frank Mir is not the best of them. So I think Fedor's so a safer bet. So you think that Fedor's not, you know, Frank isn't going to be able to exploit that big size advantage enough to beat a guy like Fedor? No, because, I mean, that that's Fedor's lives off of not having a size advantage his whole career. So I think he's used to that. And I don't think Frank Mir has the athleticism at this point in his career. He's on, you know, two bum knees at this point, probably. And even though he has like a bigger physique now that he's that he's sporting going into Bellator, I just don't think he's going to be able to impose his will uh, on Fedor at this point in his career. I actually think a little different. I think that um, he's been beat by some solid guys, quite frankly, just still have a little more pop in them. And I can't say that I think Fedor still does. I mm-hmm. felt that if Fedor's going to get the job done, he's got to work on being the faster fighter, get in and out, use the jab, but he's unapologetically confident in his right hand. He would have to follow that kind of game plan to a T and I think take out a guy like Frank Mir. I haven't seen him ever show off that style, even when he should have, let's say against Matt Mitrione and these other guys that he's fought. So that's the one thing keeping me from it. I think that if he connects on Frank Mir, he just doesn't have the kind of firepower he needs to take him out. I think that Frank is a little underestimated in terms of the shots he could take. He's only been beat by some very heavy hitters in MMA, Mm -hmm. those who have been able to knock him out, I mean. So I actually favor Frank Mir 
I think it's going to be a slower fight than we really wished it would be. But I think he's actually more comfortable putting more shots together. And also, getting Fedor in the clinch and on the ground, I think Frank Mir still can take Fedor for lunch. Fedor just doesn't have a good game off of his back. And I think that if Frank Mir gets him there, it's going to be a wrap. So... Um, he might have to take a bit of the right hand, and maybe we'll see like what you're saying out of Fedor Melianenko. I got to say, though, I'm going with Frank Mir in this one. I think he really hmm. wants it, and I think he knows that even if the championship doesn't happen for him, he wants the Fedor win to happen for him. So yeah. that's that X factor, in my opinion. It's what about you? What, if, if Fedor's going to get it done, what, how do you predict it happening? A finish or a decision? A finish. I would think it's a finish. I think... Uh, the thing is, I don't want to pick either of these guys to, to win. <laughs> at, I mean, you, you, I don't think logically that they're not going to go anywhere, in the, that they're not going anywhere in this tournament. So, uh, I it's it's a it's a tough fight to pick, but I think I trust Fedor's right hand more than Frank Mir coming off of a two year layoff at his age with all his injuries considered, even with Fedor not looking good against a guy like Fabio Maldonado uh, or Matt Mitrione. I think even with those things in mind, I trust that right hand more than than Frank Mir performing. All right. Well, hey, man, We as always, we find out after the fights. Mm-hmm. Um, Danny, I appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate the patience that you yes. had. Um, <laughs> I really wish we had more time to let this show breathe and enjoy it. But um, it's been a lot of fun, and definitely you're one of my favorite guys to talk MMA with. You know I appreciate your support, your opinion, and your advice. So thank you for being on MMA Daily. Um, where can the fans keep up with you on social media? So I am at Dan Darty MMA on Twitter. That's uh, D-O-H-E-R-T-Y. And you can also follow my podcast, even though it's in hiatus right now, at Throwing Elbows MMA. Uh, or actually, at Throwing Elbows, just <laughs> forget the MMA part. That's Throwing Elbows MMA is on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Our Twitter is at Throwing Elbows alone. And there's no G in Throwing, by the way. So we have that. And cagedotpress.com, of course. That's where I'm editing stuff and writing things sometimes. So uh, all, that's all where you can find me in the MMA world. Yes, and you do a fantastic job. I think I sound smarter only because you are the one... <laughs> you know, double checking everything I put out there. So Danny, thank you very much for your time, man. You have a great one. Fans, remember Kayla will be back next week. You can follow me on social media at double G on TV. Just spell out the word double and we'll see you guys next time.